welcome to week three of Soaking Up the Synchros, or as my daughter called it the other day, Syncing Up the Psychos. <laughs> um, last week it was me solo on my own, but this week we have Ali back with us. So to this week, since I was talking about my uh, interests and my work last week, we decided that this week we would introduce Ali a little bit more and Ali would talk about her story. And we're gonna be focusing in this week on addiction and Alison's experience with alcohol addiction. So Ali, it's kind of like an interview setting that we've got going on this week, isn't it? So, so if you want to tell us about how this all started and what your experience is and how this all began for you. Yeah, so basically it started off with a, um, a marriage at 23, which went on for a lot of years, because I was 37, and continued on really after that, after we were abroad. An abusive relationship based on narcissism, which I only found out about two years ago that was the case, that's what it was. Um, and narcissism can often cause addictions because you're trying to numb things basically. So quite often people have addictions when they come out of a narcissistic abusive relationship. So that's basically where it came from. So it, what happened was over the years, it got worse and worse to the point where I'd actually lost myself completely. And I ended up with complex PTSD, which I've now been diagnosed with. So um, long, long haul to try and be cured from that. But luckily the alcohol is gone now. It's not an addiction anymore. I think it was more of a dependency than an addiction because um, I could physically go without it. But I wanted it to take away, you know, to numb everything that was happening in my life at that time, which was just getting worse and worse. So that's basically where it started. Yeah. So you mentioned that at the beginning, when you were first with this man who you had this relationship with, that it started off with a kind of sly, oh, I'll pour you a drink tonight, babe. And, you know, it was like he was doing you a favour. But what, what do yeah. you feel now looking back? What do you feel was, was the actual real motive behind all of that? Well, to get what he wanted out of me, basically. I was basically um, a tool for him, his little toy, rather than somebody that he loved. I don't think narcissistic people are capable of proper love. Um, I think he basically, they want certain things to make themselves feel good, to inflate their ego make them feel special make them feel admired and adored that's basically what they run off um and that's basically what he was doing he realized very quickly that I'd had enough but by then I'd got two children with him so I started uh taking the drinks basically running me a bath bring me a drink and it was sort of like I think it was that's how it started you know so we got into so was he trying was he trying to like loosen you up and loosen up your inhibitions and things like that so yeah, that because yeah. sexuality their main aims that they are quite addicted to it themselves they've got addictive personalities usually themselves as well and sex is usually one of them so yeah that's what he did do um and then the next day it'd be oh that, um shouldn't be drinking have you seen how much you drank so he'd be popping it in the drink or he'd be drinking it and then gaslighting me and saying oh you did you see how much you drank and I'm thinking there's no way I drank that much and then you start to think I'm going mad and it goes on like that. So it's a, it's a cycle of lots of different um, ways to make a person feel like they're going insane, basically. 
So it's a really complex situation. There's so many undercurrents and so many different things that are going on within this sort of relationship. But as the, as it was developing, you 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 were taking the drinks and drinking, but then as it developed and you and the his kind of hold on you got became stronger and the gaslighting was making you feel a little bit, you know, crazy. You know, you didn't know the way that he was making you feel was as if you were going mad. Um, and you began to obviously feel unhappy in this relationship because you're in a relationship with someone who doesn't genuinely love you, isn't genuinely caring for you, making you question your own sanity. So your relationship with drink began to change then at that point, would you say, that it became more of a coping mechanism, uh, you know, rather than it being him plying you with drink, you, you then became to need the drink for your own reasons. Yeah. Yeah, it's never sort of um, a physical addiction where I'd wake up in the morning and need a drink or anything like that. What it was, when he was home from work, I'd hear the key in the door. Like, I'm making me shudder now thinking about it because it's a trigger, but I'd hear the key in the door and think, oh, shit, you know. So then he'd bring in a bottle of wine or I'd have already got a bottle of wine and we'd drink it together, but there'd always be more. So, you know, I started to drink to completely numb the relationship because I hated being in it so much, but I couldn't get out of it. As you know, being my friend for seven years, I tried so many times to get out of this abusive relationship. It was actually you that were the one that told me that this was what it was. It's abusive. And I was like, abusive, is it? So I wasn't even aware. In so many years, I was only, so it's because I was only 23 when I was with him and I had two boys already. Came in like Mr. Knight in shining armor. I'll save you, love. I'll buy your house off your ex-partner. And I'll do all these things were building up to a very clever manipulative way of destroying my life and the alcohol was one of them and I've only just recently been able to stop myself from using it to numb everything that's happened but I haven't actually used any specific tools to do that um, other than music a bit of meditation um, basically getting outside in nature things like that but there was there did come a time where I thought is there ever going to go a night where I get to sort of seven o'clock and I'm like right the only way I'm going to sleep the only way I'm going to be able to relax or stop being hyper vigilant about everything because that's that is the, one of the other things obviously the complex PTSD that came with it every single noise makes you jump um you know if there's a loud bang or somebody knocks on the door you like jump out of your skin or just lots of different things and the alcohol will take those away to a point yeah. or it will numb them down or calm them down and I wasn't sure what else you could do to replace what alcohol would do for you so but I know it's extremely common because obviously I'm in a lot of um, women's support groups um, I've got domestic abuse workers I've also got um, <clears throat> a freedom program that I've been doing on, on abusive behavior um, and that is what every woman should do that really before they get into any relationship not just women men actually because there are obviously it's not just about women being abused men get the same but I think yeah. it's more common yeah. women but that has helped me to understand what they call red flags to not get myself into a situation like that ever again yeah but in, I mean you broke up with with this man a few years ago now I mean what year was it that you actually did eventually, I mean, I know you tried a, a few times before it actually did come to an end. You tried to end the relationship and he wasn't having it. Um, 
but when you actually did finally manage to break away from him that it was a good few years ago now wasn't it it was in 2017 and you've literally only just now become strong enough to actually give up the give up the drink really you've been using it to numb everything even mm. even without even though he's not in your life anymore you've still been needing the alcohol to numb all of the effects so I'm just wondering do you feel like you have an addiction to alcohol do you feel like you are addicted to it uh, uh, what I'm addicted to is the feeling of um not having that fear stress um the what complex PTSD does to the body it is literally um part of your brain is actually damaged. They say it's brain damage. Once it becomes complex PTSD, PTSD, it's extremely difficult to get rid of it. But there's lots of different symptoms of that. But um, I'm not physically addicted. Haven't had a drink since Sunday night. Had half a bottle of wine. Um, didn't take it too far. because There was a point where if I was going to get wine, I could only make sure I got one bottle. Mustn't have more than that in the house because I could go four days without drinking it and feel like shit, not shit as in physically, but um, just feel low and like, oh, everything's a problem and everything's stressful, anxiety through the roof, depression. But then um, if I get a bottle of wine, I'd only have to get the one because if I got the two, I drink the two. So, and it was coming to two bottles weren't affecting me. So I could quite easily sit of an evening, start cooking dinner, drink the one bottle quite quickly and then go on to the second. Yeah. Um, that is a quite common thing in women as well who've been abused they can drink absolutely loads I know one lady who can drink three bottles of wine a night and she can't she can't stop herself she's obviously physically addicted now starts yeah. off with a quick drink in the morning and then it's three bottles of wine and then that, and what that is doing to your your body is yeah unthinkable so but for you it's more of a it's an emotional numbing dependency that you had it's not, it's never been physical. I've never had the shakes or never woke up in the morning and yeah. thought, oh, I needed. So it's, it's like an escape. Been... It's an escape for you rather than a physical addiction. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I've gone three weeks without it and just wanted it, but didn't drink it. So you can tell it's not a physical thing. It's more of a mental thing. It's just a habit that I've got into over the yeah. years, the evening and wind down and but the other no. thing that that I that I'm aware has happened to you in this kind of process with the alcohol and the PTSD is that the numbness that you feel when you're drinking the alcohol. So the alcohol is there as, as a kind of escape for you to numb all your emotions. But then that developed over time to to the point where your emotions became kind of flatlined. And you yeah. had this numbness all the while, like your emotions just became like you were numb all the while. So the effect of having this alcohol to, to dampen your emotions became like a permanent state for you. Yes, but I think a lot of that, it could, it could partly be down to the alcohol, but it's also the complex PTSD that is one of the symptoms. So because you're trying to, your brain is trying to block out the pain um, and the anxiety and all the symptoms, it's also blocking out everything. I, I had that explained by a counsellor that that's what my brain is basically doing because I'm trying to numb out such horrible thoughts and such nasty 
like flashbacks and things like that that it became a, a you have none everything so I'm only just starting to get my creativity back but you know what I was like before all this happened I think it's only been the last three years really that I've realized this become a really big problem I think I remember telling you sort of three years ago I just don't feel anything I don't feel anything it's Christmas the kids are going to open their presents I used to love to see them open their presents everything stopped becoming exciting everything became numb and flat yeah. and I was I was frightened actually I was quite frightened but when the first drink goes down you feel a little bit of oh I feel something all ah, right was- so it became a kind of the opposite so whereas before it was to numb it became it it turned into the alcohol was the only thing that actually made you feel anything after a while yeah that's exactly what happened and you know things like it was almost like I was doing the backwards thing of what he would he used to take the piss out of me like when I first met him I was really outgoing I was um, enjoying my life I was working as a voluntary um, assistant in a school I was running a club for shy children I was doing all sorts and as you know gradually you don't need to be doing that love maybe you should stop doing that perhaps that's too much for you love so I got pregnant quite quickly which is a narcissistic trap as well they get you pregnant marry you as quickly as they possibly can they move on and if they can't do that with you they move on to the next one because they're scared because they know if they don't trap you they can only keep it going for a couple of years maximum really maybe two to three years they can keep this behavior going where they love bombing you they call it so um, all the things that I was doing before. So if I'd be having a dance in my kitchen or, you know, enjoying myself, you'd come in lovely, you know, beautiful. Yeah, one. I remember, I remember you telling me about that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, tell you at the time, actually. So then you're, oh, I feel stupid or oh, I feel embarrassed. And then they knock and chip and chip away at your confidence until you just become a shadow of your former self. You're like a shell and you're like, where have I gone? And you don't even know it's happening. It just, they so clearly do it a little bit at a time. Oh, you're going to wear that, are you, love? Oh, your makeup looks a bit dodgy or something like that. And you, before you know it, you feel absolutely shit. Or, and also what they do it for is because they don't want you to go off with someone else. And they're petrified. So they want you to feel like you're a piece of crap, basically. And you're not pretty and you're not clever. And they start off, I think they go for successful people that are quite outgoing have lots of friends and then they start to remove your friends and all of those things it's it's a very long subject obviously this is where it's come from because I wasn't like that before when my boys were little I didn't drink a thing hardly ever if I went out it was very rare I used to go out with my friend Claire and um, it was once every two weeks maximum if if I was lucky um and we used to have a drink on a Saturday night wake up in the morning and feel really guilty oh we're mums we shouldn't be doing that we, we didn't drink you know none of us did so it didn't happen until 2008 is where the drink started because after I had Noah I was so fed up miserable I knew I didn't want to be with him right back then I knew I'd made a massive mistake and he'd bring back a bottle of wine we started sharing one because obviously I didn't drink anything at all when I was pregnant um that we share a bottle and then he'd want the last glass and it'd become like I feel better when I drink I want we, then we'd have a bottle each so it brings two bottles we'd sit and have a bottle each and the telly would be on and I'd be numb because you know how I feel about telly I'd be like oh and it was always his choice as well so it was just everything revolved around this man who was just an absolute control freak and I didn't even know didn't see it coming didn't know it was that I didn't know why I was fed up didn't know I was losing myself but now I do so now that I know now that I've worked it out and I've worked on it and I'm having counselling and on the list for cognitive behavioural therapy as well, which apparently is really good. There's also something called EMDR. I can't remember what it stands for, but it's something to do with using eye movement to 
recite what's happened to you. Um, mm. And apparently it's good that alcoholism caused by complex PTSD as well. So okay. PTSD is usually caused by a sudden event, like um, they often have it if they've been in the war and seen something awful, like somebody shot. Uh, they call that PTSD because it's the one-off event that they that triggers them every time they think of it, flashbacks, nightmares, that kind of thing. When it's complex, it's over a long period of time. So yeah. that's what the difference is, basically. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. So I was going to talk about the 12-step um, recovery for addiction. We, I know Russell Brand, I follow Russell Brand, and he talks about this a lot because he, he was addicted to a few things, actually, wasn't he? He was addicted to drugs, addicted to sex. I mean, there's so many yeah. different types of addiction. I, I've, I've been myself addicted to cigarettes and I quit smoking in 2012. Um, yeah. I think I've got a bit of a food sugar addiction myself. I can't go a day without eating some form of bread or cake or chocolate then you know there's people that are addicted to work to computer games uh gambling there's you know there's all sorts of and it's all about it's all about an escape a lot of the time isn't it it's all about like you say num numbing things down but i was going to talk anyway about the um the 12 step recovery that russell brown talks a lot about and it's it's based very much in in spirituality it's a very spiritual um approach to take to the recovery for addiction so do you mind if i just talk a little bit about this that's so with, with the 12 step recovery the 12 steps are honesty so it's acknowledging that you have a problem that you yourself are powerless to actually uh, resolve and then step two is faith and it's it's actually having this faith and the belief in the, the higher power that can help mm -hmm. you overcome this addiction you know how i am with my faith <laughs> it's unshakable um uh, step three is surrender turning it all over to the higher power um soul searching going inside and admitting to yourself the wrongs that you did because a lot of addictions make you can make you do pretty atrocious things some of the time i mean obviously if you're addicted to drugs you've got to get the drugs haven't you um some people can behave atrociously completely not being themselves and i'm sure there's a lot of shame there's a lot of guilt involved in this in this process you know it, it must be absolutely so harrowing when you get to this point and you're soul searching and you're remembering the things that you've done the people that you've hurt i can't i just can't imagine how hard mm -hmm. this part of the process must be for people that have been you know in really awful situations in terms of their addictions and the things that, that you know people might have done um as a result yeah. of their addictions you know um so at this stage you're soul searching you're going inside you're admitting to yourself what you have done, who you have wronged, who you have hurt. Oh, can you imagine that? I just, it must be so yeah. hard. But then the next step is um, integrity and admitting these wrongs and admitting, yes, I have hurt these people. What I did was wrong. And then step six is acceptance. And again, this, this part of it is accepting, okay, yes, I did these things. 
you can't change that you can't control the past you know there's nothing that you can do to change that now you must let that go you've got to you've got to go back again I guess I mean I don't know I've not been through the process myself but I'm imagining that once you get to this part this this part where you're going inside you you're doing it with integrity to admit the wrongs that you've done and then accepting that that is part of your story that's part of your journey now and you can't change any of that you've got to go then I would imagine back to step three where you surrender and you let that go and you go okay I pass that up to to the higher power to God whatever you whatever you call it I you yeah. know that is now I, I give all of this to you and you accept it as part of yourself as part of your journey and then you go into the and then you go into the energy of humility I just think this I just can't imagine how I mean I know I do know of a few people I don't know of them they're not close to me but I know of a few, a few people that have been through this process and I just I just I just think it's it's it must be such a journey just so many highs and so many lows and by the time you get to number seven you, you're in the energy of humility and you're asking this higher power help me this is the point that you're saying I really need help please help me I need you to support me and take me through this. It, I just, can you imagine being in that position? I have been, I've been there. That's what I've been doing recently, actually. That's been the part I've obviously, well, have I skipped steps? I don't know. I mean, I don't have too much guilt. I haven't done awful things caused by alcohol, luckily, other than maybe fall asleep, <laughs> which is probably not the best idea. Falling asleep downstairs, but that was my main aim anyway. Fall asleep, not upstairs. Um, but apart from that, luckily, I haven't got too many people to apologise to because I've not really, it wasn't at that level where I was doing crazy stuff or anything. I was a mum and I was having to hold that up. So I gradually built my tolerance up. But I have asked for the higher power to help me recently. Yeah. That's, I've been working on that quite a bit. Yeah. So have, do you, have you looked into the 12 step? recovery yeah, process at all do you is that part is that something that you do in your in your therapy with your counselor or anything like that no no I've never actually gone to Alcoholics Anonymous but I do know that people who've got a severe problem as in physically addicted or having a, a, a problem in a way that it's wrecking their lives I know that they have gone to it now some people don't like it um from what I can gather because of this spiritual side because they don't understand it they don't know what they're they don't know what this thing is this higher power people talk about god and automatically it becomes christian or catholic or protestant or whatever you want to call it and there's yeah. that stigma attached to religious behaviors and obviously people who've been in addictive places are very low and they they've lost their spiritual side so they don't know what they're asking they don't know who they're asking for it's like is it a yeah. man in the sky is it and that puts a lot of alcoholics and, and drug users off the 12 steps, unfortunately, because they don't understand. Because they can't even get to step two where you have yes. faith, where you have the faith that there is this higher power who you can hand yeah. all of this over to, who can support you and help you and guide you through it, which is really no, sad, I think, really. I think what helped me is that I was already into spiritual practices. Obviously, that's how I met you. That's how I met the girls. We were already doing a lot of work together as a group. Um, and I think if I hadn't have done that, it might have been a lot darker for me, but I was already working on myself quite a bit before I lost myself, if you know what I mean? So that was crushed out of me as well. If I was having a meditation, burst in the door and ruin it, you know, you're not having time yeah, to yourself. you weren't allowed that time to yourself. 
No. I wasn't allowed even to go to the meditation group. So, but the 12 steps I've come across and I have found them interesting because I've kind of done bits of it without knowing there was such a thing. Yeah, well, it's all, yeah. it's all very connected to anyone who has a spiritual practice or even a spiritual um, outlook on life would, would have, you know, would be familiar with a lot of the concepts within the 12 steps. Uh, because I know in my work, I work a lot on, maintaining my faith and surrender and soul searching and acceptance forgiveness you know that is all part of yes. my spiritual process in, in just in life in general and, and looking back upon my life and things that have gone wrong in my life you've always you've always as long as I've known you which is must be seven seven six seven years now you've always been very good with your meditation on the morning and there's only been times when you've wavered but you've always like you say had faith all the way through and um it's it's marvelous actually to see you being like that because you've kept yourself at a high vibration most of the time I know we all have our moments but mostly you bounce out of it and you're like right back to it again um different deities obviously we've we've explored our paganism and our mm. Hindu deities and all that kind of thing and it's it's working out what is all of this Celtic deities we've been into haven't we and um it's all something it all stems from something it's all personification of an energy as far as I'm concerned and I think that we've yeah. had lots of discussion about that. but it does help to it's a focus as well is that something to focus on oh yeah definitely yeah mm. so just to carry on with the 12 steps Sorry, we, we got to number seven, which was humility, <laughs> which was yeah. humility and asking for the higher power to support you, which is when you said, you know, this is work that you've done yourself recently, asking for support. And do, and you feel like you've received that support. Yeah, I think yeah. so. I think sometimes you, you just know when the universe has got you back, don't you? You've yeah. been told so much so often as well with your signs and synchros that the universe is, is there in the moments when you're feeling at, at your lowest, that's when all the numbers yep. start going crazy. And the universe, we had this discussion in the first podcast, actually, it's the universe telling you this higher power telling you that we're here, we're supporting you. You, you go online, you think, oh, look up, what does that mean? And each one, three, three, three means 20 different things. And you're like, actually, I just realized it's, it's obviously the universe just sending me a sign. I don't yeah. see it as specific signs anymore. I had all the numbers from 000 to 999, all on number plates, and then all the 1111s and everything, which is my birthday anyway, obviously. Yeah. So um, yeah, it was obviously, that's all it was, was just giving me a little nod. Of, just don't give up, we're here. That's it, and, yeah, um, exactly that. Cool. So um, yeah, so step eight is willingness to make amends to those harmed. So once you've um, accepted the the things that you've done, you've asked for the support from the higher power, then you um, step into the energy of willingness to make amends and then forgiveness for your forgiving yourself, self-forgiveness, I would imagine, um, and making amends, maybe asking other people for forgiveness as well. And then 11 is maintaining spiritual progress is what you were saying about what I've been doing over the last however many years since you've known me. It's consistency and doing it on a regular basis. I mean, more, more days than not, I will meditate. I will do what I, you know, my little root, spiritual routine. And I've, I notice a difference in, in my mental health if I don't do that. So, so step um, 10 is 
is consistency and maintaining that and, and being committed to your spiritual practice, I suppose, and to your recovery. I mean, you've got to be committed to your recovery. You've got to, you've, I, I know from giving up smoking um, that if you don't know in your mind 100% that you're, for me, I, I knew 100% I just wasn't going to smoke again. I just knew I wasn't. And it wasn't yeah. a case of counting the days. I, I know, I know with the recovery progress, they the recovery programs, they do kind of they give you um, you know, they acknowledge when you've gone so so long without a drink. And it's and it's you know, it's, it's a form of encouragement and support and it lifts you up. And I'm sure there are a lot of people who need that. But I found that when I quit smoking, I didn't need to count the days that I'd gone since my last cigarette. And I know that an addiction to, to cigarettes is nothing like an addiction to alcohol and it's nothing like an addiction to, you know, really hard drugs. But it was still an addiction that I never thought I would ever be able to, to kick. And I did. And it was all about my mindset. I just knew that I was never going to have another cigarette again. I just knew I was never going to smoke again. And I just, yeah, it's when they say, you know, if you if you want to kick it, just stop smoking and then never smoke again. You make up your mind and you know that you're never going to smoke again. So it's mm -hmm. it's maintain it's um yeah maintaining your spiritual progress and being committed to it. Yeah, and then step it. eleven is um making contact it was called but step 11 is about um speaking to this higher power speaking to god communicating and asking to be shown what it, what is your purpose why am i here you know what is my higher purpose and and discovering what what your path is what your real purpose is in life and then step 12 is service and, and being in service to to others I just think that's amazing. And then there's a, there's a whole, following on from that, there's a whole other, another step of 12 traditions, which I think is to support you as you go, as you're carrying out step 12 of being in service yeah. to others, following on from your experience. So that's what we're doing here really, isn't it? You've been through this and now you want to help other people. And you can only help other people by speaking about your own personal experiences. So this is really what we're trying to do in this podcast, isn't it? Yeah, and one of my main goals now that I'm strong enough to do that is to work with women who've been domestically abused. So that is my next step. That is one of my main goals, is that is what I want to do for a job, is be either a domestic abuse counsellor or outreach worker, because I feel I've got that knowledge now. So many years of going through it, I can just see it just like that. And I, I can help people with that. And I've really been doing that accidentally. People have been appearing at my door, even, yeah. that have been stuff as you know so um and they just people like that are attracted to me now it's just they're flocking at me and they obviously I haven't said anything they just know or they're being guided to me now because I've got that knowledge without sounding egotistical because I've been through it I've got the knowledge so yeah. and I'm looking forward to it actually yeah so does that give you strength does that give you motivation and kind of inspiration to to continue on with your your healing and your recovery because you've still got a fairly long way to go in terms of your own recovery haven't you so does I that i think that would be part of it i think that would be part i think that will be part of it because one of the things i said i had to give an interview to the police about all of this it was a four-hour interview it's horrendous like in front of a video 
um, awkward, horrible questions. But at the end of it, she said, and what did you hope to achieve from this? Do you want him to go to prison? I said, no, I don't actually, I don't. What I want is for him to never do this to another person again. I want him to know, and I want to be, to, I want this to not have been in vain all these years of my life. But at that point, when I said that to her, um, I didn't know what I meant by that, but I think I do now. I think that's because I had to go through all that suffering basically um to to help other people so mm. what i will be doing well it goes back to what you said at the start of the video as well if you have been aware of the signs if you have been aware that what he was doing to you was manipulative and controlling then you might have had the strength you know you would have been well informed enough to to not stand for it at that time so what well, you can do now to help out is is to raise awareness of of what the signs are and to help other yeah. women who are perhaps at the start of their relationships to recognize those signs and give them you know the information and the knowledge that they need to to recognize well, that before it's before it gets so far developed that they're in that person's control well, I was going to some outreach groups, obviously, for support from other women. And um, some of them were quite a bit younger than me. And they were starting off how I did. Oh, I had to bite my tongue. I felt I felt like I'd already got to that stage where I know what this is now. And I was like, zip it, because they're all sat there going. And then this and, and my um, outreach worker, she's not very spoken. She just lets them talk, really. I don't know whether that's part of her job, but I, as far as I know, it's not. I think she should really be saying, well, that's the flag. That's a warning sign. Um, right. But she was wasn't saying too much really, and I felt that I knew that I I wasn't supposed to be in that group really. I was supposed to be doing her job. That's how, and that sounds awful, but that's how I felt, and that's when I started to realise. Um, that's when I started to realise that that's what I probably wanted to do because I was getting a bit psyched up, thinking I can help these women, I can do this, and I know how to tell them. You know, not obviously tell them, but trying to explain to them what the red flags are and look you need you need to really be worried about they'd be finding new boyfriends after an abusive relationship and all the signs were there that they'll go into another one yet again mm. and I'd be thinking oh no so I had that knowledge really so um yeah I don't know okay. what to do so what do you on a like a day-to-day -day basis now what is it that keeps you strong and keeps you away from going to the shop and buying a bottle of wine what is it that helps you just in your day-to-day -day life to stay off the wine now right what helps me stay off the booze and not go down to the shop is it's a bloody long walk to Aldi <laughs> no I'm joking <laughs> I couldn't I did that hundreds of times in a week no um it's not that it's my children basically the fact that i've just got i'm numb after i've said so on the night of the drinking you have a few like three or four glasses of wine you might dance around your kitchen you might have a great time think fuck you you know excuse my french but you might think oh, i'm here i've got my own house now i'm three hours away from him he's gone um and then the next day you're all like mm, again so it, it's a depressant isn't it so the fact that i know it depresses me i know it like makes me lack motivation um obviously new relationships in the future um it could cause problems for so i know that that's something that if i ever fought with friendships family everything i think it can spoil that because you you can put off things the next day so you, you'll say oh, i really look forward to doing that 
and then you have a bottle of wine the night before and then the day comes and you're like I'd rather just sit here and just tidy my house or put a bit of washing on and that's not exciting is it could have gone and done this so I realized that my motivation wasn't there um and it was numbing me more and probably depressing me more so I just thought no not doing it anymore I think it's the support that I've had because that's one of the main things I wanted to say here the main thing that you need when you go through something like this is supportive friends and family now my family weren't supportive um they basically left me to it and actually they, that made it rock bottom lost friends because they didn't know what was going on obviously he had said whatever he'd said because that's a smear campaign that the narcissist does you fly in monkeys to make you look even worse than what you actually are you don't know all this is going on so your friends and family drop away and you don't realize that they're believing the narcissist you've got no idea you're completely innocent because you wouldn't do that yourself as you know there's nothing like that in my i haven't got a bone like that in my body so um I think the main thing that you have to have is try and find supportive friends and family when dealing with this type of abuse as it's extremely clever and manipulative and you have to remove toxic people and situations from your life even if that includes friends that you thought were friends family members you thought would be there for you if they're not there you, you, yeah. if they're not there for you and they are toxic even if they were close to you so you thought you have to remove those people because you cannot heal yourself with toxic people in your life so that would be one of the things that I would give advice to people. If somebody is continuously not supportive and um, detached, unavailable, not caring what you're going through, leaving you to it because you're too much of a problem, you're too, you know, I went through all of that. Oh, she's depressed or she's, um, she's tearful all the time. Or I'd phone somebody, specific family members crying, upset, and they'd be like, oh, she's just a problem. This problem, Alison, again. Um, and what I realised was... I know who my true friends are and I know who's really there for me and my circle's very small now but I'm ready to allow new people and it's now that I've let all of those people go new exciting fresh people with very similar um, views on the world and very similar goals to me are popping into my life now so um, yeah I'm ready to start fresh and just get rid of that old past and now that I'm here as well all the way away from where I was that's been a massive help is uh, getting out of that area all the memories the triggers getting out of my marital home was the best thing I've ever done I tried to hang on to it for the kids and for the space so that I could have all my children one bedroom each and it was an ideal space I was growing all my vegetables I've lost all of that I don't have that anymore I've got a tiny house but I don't actually care anymore I've dropped all of that is that was ego that was materialism I'm not materialistic but you know trying to hang on to that house why why would I want to hang on to a house where I'd spent constant hours of abuse in there? So yeah. learning to drop all those thoughts has been a huge help to me not to keep on thinking about the past and just look future. Don't look back. <laughs> yeah. Never look back. It just holds you there, holds you in the past. Yeah, definitely. So you just know that you're better off without it. It's your mindset. You've just got your mindset on your future now. Yeah with the knowledge mm -hmm. that you're just not gonna you're just not gonna go there again it's that faith isn't it you've, you've got you've got to have that unwavering faith yeah. step two once you've once you've acknowledged that there is a problem that you that you need to get rid of you've got to have faith that you mm -hmm. that you're gonna do it whatever whatever it is that that's creating that faith in you whether it's a higher power that you can surrender everything up to I mean, do you feel that do you do you feel that you're being supported by a higher power throughout all of this? 
I know I am. I know I am. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, I, I when I was in my darkest, darkest place, which you sent me that book, it was very strange. I'd just been talking to my friend David on the on the phone, I think it were. And um, I heard this thud through the door and it was a Sunday and I'd just been talking to him about Dark Night of the Soul and we'd got into a conversation about it. So I said, oh, there's something coming through my door. I'm just going to go see what that is. You had sent me the book, Dark Night of the Soul. That book came through the door and it was just random because it was a Sunday and it came through the post because yeah. it was on Amazon, wasn't it? And uh, it was just such funny time. And that was one of the points where I thought, I am actually, this is something weird here. That's there's something going on. People are sort of, the universe is, is giving me help which has motivated me to help myself in some ways. When somebody's kind to you, and I think kindness is a massive thing. And when somebody shows you kindness, you're like, oh. And then before you know it, you're wanting to show kindness. And then you realise the world is not all bad. It's not a massively yeah. horrible place. It's, it's, be gone. it's all about, it's about momentum, isn't it? And when you get in that place of, of lack and, and focusing on what you're missing, it, it snowballs in the negative but then if you, it, all it takes is one person to show you a little bit of kindness, to give you that lift, to get you up into that positive, higher vibration. And then again, it can start snowballing again, but in a positive momentum rather yeah. than the negative. Okay. I just wanted to say about my darkest day, my very darkest day, because even though it's something very personal, it's still something that happened. And um, I don't want anybody else to feel that they haven't, they just don't have the will to live anymore. I took two bottles of wine to the Lake District, two packets of tablets. I was driving there, listening to my favourite tracks, thinking, I, nobody cares about me, that's it. I'm done. Uh, I'm not even bothered anymore. I had no care about anything other than I just want out of here. I'm done. And now, I mean, I'd look at that as selfish maybe years ago, but you don't actually understand you're being selfish. You don't know what you're doing. It, it's like something flicks the switch and you're like, finally the relief if I don't have to do this anymore. And to hit that rock bottom, that was nothing to do with alcohol. That was just to do with losing my children to their dad. Um, you know, Christmas time, what was, wasn't it just before Christmas? And what the only thing that stopped me was the thought of my children and how they'd feel whilst I'd sat there and thought about it when it went dark and I was looking at this beautiful scenery. I'd actually driven myself to a suicide spot, I was told. Um, lo and behold, I ended up at a suicide spot, didn't know, it was amazing there. And um, what got me through that was talking to people, including um, my, my boy's dad, you, um, you know, Claire, lots of people that I'd spoken to that kept me going that day. And I and, and then the kind man who drove past and knocked on the window, you're all right, love. I was like, yeah, just leave me. Just leave me. I don't want anything. Just bye. You know, I was like, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm just sitting here. I'm just chilling. And he was like, I don't think she's chilling. And he phoned the police, didn't he? And that was, that was my rock bottom moment, which I... Yeah. I can't understand now because looking back to that point, I'd never do it. I don't think I even would have done it, but I thought I was gonna. I thought I might. I thought you were going it. to as well, Ali. I was. I was terrified. I'll never. Mm. I'll never forget that that night. Your brain doesn't know what it's doing. It switches off. I now have understanding of people. I have suicide awareness because you. I still don't think I would have done it. I don't think I could have done that to my children, but. If, if I hadn't had children or friends like you, yourself, and, you know, I would not have, I just thought all well, my family didn't care about me, nobody did, apart from my few friends, and they'd be okay, they'd get over it kind of thing. And you, your brain just goes, and it's called disassociation. When you get to that stage in your life, you disassociate from your whole body, from everything, and you, you just, it's like, it's not you don't care, 
it's you just don't know how to live anymore don't know what you're doing your brain doesn't want to carry on with the pain anymore we're going to wrap up our podcast now but i just want to ask ali one more question um so you've just described the night when you were contemplating suicide and um you took yourself off to a, a place in the lake district and it was it was quite a intense scary night i remember as your friend not knowing where you were um knowing that you'd you'd got this drink in the car with you and, and you'd just gone off on your own um after that night after that awful experience that you had is was that the catalyst for you then to actually decide right that's it i i need to stop drinking now i need to get my life back no it wasn't it wasn't that day no things were progressively worse from there really because it was christmas coming up i was without my children for christmas for the first time and no i got progressively worse after that and then i knew that i had to break up with my partner that i'd been with for nearly four years um then um then i had to obviously move out of the house that we tried to move into together that was like hell I just thought this is the world hates me God hates me everything hates me so no it wasn't that it went on for some time after that where I got probably worse with the drink um and it wasn't until I settled into this house and I moved in here and I thought I'm away from it all I don't need to do this more even if that means not being able to see my kids as much because that's detaching myself from him it was moving here, my own space, um, which a few people told me that would be the case. Leading up to the Lake District day, I didn't, I didn't drink for a few days because I was trying to get on well with my, my ex-partner at the time when we were still together. Um, so I hadn't drunk for a few days, but then I just thought, what am I doing? My life is a waste. I'm a waste of space. And I've been told that for so long as well. Everything I did couldn't even wash up dishes right. Um, everything I, I'd done, he'd say, we well, haven't done that or you haven't done it right. And it was everything I was doing in my new house, my new partner, um, it broke us up because I was, I was feeling like I was um, being told what to do again. You know, I, he was going to be the same as my ex. So I would, if I could try and explain that better. Um, so everything was a trigger, everything. And it just got worse and worse and the triggers were worse and worse. What if he comes in and everything's not done perfect? What if he wants everything done perfect? And all of a sudden then everything switched off and then I couldn't do anything. I couldn't motivate myself. I was trying to tidy up, walking from room to room. Like, I don't know how to do this anymore. And I just felt like just cr crawling into a corner and dying, really, um, until I moved to this house. It's now there's nobody telling me what to do. This is my own life now, my own space. So it was more just me going, right, I need a life. I don't want to have no life anymore. I want to have had a purpose on this earth, not just to have had my children. That wasn't my purpose. It was one of my purposes, but it gave life to somebody. But... Um, and also my little granddaughter as well. She's yeah. come into my life. She was a new spark of energy. And I just thought she does not need to know that's what her nan her did and that kind of thing. Um, yeah. So it's lots of things really, but I wouldn't say it was, no, the Lake District was probably my lowest point, which I couldn't really get out of and I didn't know how to. But yeah, yeah. onwards and upwards So now. that, that so. night would be your, you know, your soul searching not that you wronged anyone that night but that's a sort of that was out of character for you that was the behavior that you displayed as a result of what you've been through I mean it wasn't because of an addiction and it wasn't because of your dependency on alcohol although that did play you know that was a factor in in 
some of your behavior that night but that that night for you is your step four um yeah Mm -hmm. and and you've got you have you I mean you've gone through you've gone through all of the steps yourself maybe maybe not in a linear fashion you know going from step one to step two to step three but really in your experience (laughs) in in your you know in in your journey from when you were with this man to, to where you are now you have gone through all of the 12 steps at some at some point and at some stage I think probably because something was guiding me even though I didn't know it was at the time something was guiding me to where I am now the place I live in I love where I live now I love the area I love the people around here met some wonderful people that have been so helpful and made me laugh well thank you for sharing your story with us Ali with me um, and with yeah, you inspired to not not you know we all hit rock bottom at times but it's not the end and that's what I keep trying to say to people that's not the end you aren't this you aren't what you feel you are now you've got so much more potential and you will come out of this um if you give yourself that chance yeah definitely yeah Right, Ali. Mm-hmm. Should we leave it on that note? Keep so. it safe. All right, lovely. <laughs> Definitely. Bye, my darling. Love you lots. Yeah, and, and we'll, we'll be back talk later next week, hopefully on on syncing up the psychos. Definitely. <laughs> What's syncing up the psychos? Can we talk about <laughs> next week? You never know. Could be anything. <laughs> take care bye bye everyone thank you for listening if you listen this far bye